For a long time, we were a church that didn't have a whole lot of men. And then I started to pray. And you've probably heard the story that, um, you know, we did the Y on Carols one year and we ended up putting seven tonnes of steel up for the stage and then pulled it down that night. And we literally did it with mostly, not men, but we did it with young men and young ladies, believe it or not. Like these two girls stand at the back. Just stand up, young ladies, young girls. Just stand up. Come on, just stand up. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Girls like that. Girls like that. God bless you, ladies. Thanks for this morning, too. And we just didn't have a lot of men. So I started to pray and started to ask the Lord, and I said, Lord, we need men. And I started to pray about that. And literally, especially this year, the men have just been coming out of the woodwork. Uh, and they're joining the church. And I believe it's for a reason. I believe God wants, I believe God's recruiting men all over the earth. I honestly believe that. Even Aussies that typically, Aussie men typically would love to just stand around the barbie enjoy their sport, and uh, do life well, but they would give the church a wide berth. They would just, look, church, what is it? What do I need it for? What's the good of it? Uh, why, you know, help me. You know, what's the practicality? I think, I think the key thing that a man will ask is this, what is the practicality of it? What does it do? You know, because men are very, they're very pragmatic in a way. They're doers. They like to build they like to know what they're attending to and subscribing to is building something. And I think for me, I have a heart, for me I have a heart to show men, prove to men, and reveal to men by the Word of God and by the, you know, by the, the passion that, that, that I have is to prove to men that they are born and purposed in a significant way that if they step into that, they will find their identity, they will find out who they are in God, because every man, believe, every man is built for a purpose. God is a purposeful God. We have been built for a purpose. And I want to allude to those three purposes um, as, I, as I open this up a little bit, into a little bit of, I guess it's, because life, life is about mindsets. It's how you interpret stuff. And I think the Aussie guy, and even guys in the church, they interpret church a little bit different than what they should. Church is about a place where men are needed. Amen? The church needs men. And historically, the church has had a lot of women subscribe to it because it's a spiritual place. We worship. We talk about communing with God. We talk about speaking to God. And somehow, in the life of the female, in the life of the woman, this comes very easy. But the man, it's a little bit of a problematic area because firstly, for a man to get transparent with anyone else is a big deal, especially their wife. That's the huge struggle that men have in their marriages, uh, to be emotionally transparent. I said emotionally transparent. Uh, you know, we have no drama being physically transparent, but spiritually transparent, that is, the, that is probably where the rubber hits the tar, is where men are called in marriage 
to be brutally honest with who they are spiritually, emotionally, and of course physically is just easy peasy. But in that, men come into the life of the church and they start to realize, my goodness, I've got to be real. I've got to, be, I've got to open my heart up and I've got to let the love flow and I've got to be friendly and I've got to... It doesn't come easy, but I believe it, it, it can come. I believe that it can be empowered by God. I believe that you can transcend your worst fears. I believe men can transcend, that means cross over a line, and, and in the power of the Holy Spirit begin to, I guess, know God, love God, worship God, and even aspire to this phenomenal thing called church. Now, just quickly, for me... Um, I grew up knowing God, and uh, things got a bit vague as a teenager. I went to work, I, I started work with working with people in a, in a psychiatric center, believe it or not, in 1976, and uh, that was a huge eye-opener for me. And then, I guess, in my early 20s, I went to work on a construction site building weirs and dams up North Queensland, and that's probably what really made a man out of me. Um, working with rednecks and working with guys that were just lived out in the bush and uh, dealing with their stuff, dealing with their dispositions, uh, I guess engendered manhood to me. That's how it worked for me. Um, came back from that and uh, met Julie. Julie was God-seeking, I was God-seeking. We both hit the road running, God-seeking. Uh, we started to go to church straight up after we got married in 85 and uh, just were living the good life in the sense of building home, building family. In the heart of me is a builder, I guess. Built my own home, built a family, and then God apprehends me in the early 90s and says, I've got something else for you to build. And he started to speak to me in no uncertain terms. And I guess for about two years I struggled with that. Uh, and then eventually I owned up that God was on my case. God was in my face. God was speaking to me. I couldn't get away from him. And eventually it was about birthing a church in Wyong, which we did. We started it in 96. It was called Crossroads uh, Christian Life Center. And I'm telling you, it took every ounce of inner fortitude to build, to, you know, to put the foundations down, to cut a way out. For me, building a church is like pioneering. It's like chopping trees down, dragging water up from the river. It's all that plus more. In the spiritual and the physical, in the physical, church was very much, because the devil hates churches, and he resisted us every which way. Every which way. And I thank God for my family. I thank God for my wife that she was able to cope and just stand strong. And 10 years later, 12 years later, we're on 11 acres of land and we're in a, a building, a building that we own, the church owns. Uh, we're not renting this place. We own it. God, when I got married, I think... It was virtually within three months the Lord said, I'm going to give you your own home. And I took a wrong turn off to work, went down this. There was one suburb that was quite a nice suburb that I had to 
bypass going to work one day and I took a wrong turn, went down the street and in the middle of this beautiful suburb was this house, the original homestead, weatherboard, tin roof, needed paint, willow tree out the front, overgrown, really needed a lot of tender loving care with a big for sale sign out the front and I just pulled over straight away. I don't know why I did, but I pulled over and I said, man, if I could ever afford a house, it might be that one there. And sure enough, one thing led to another and we signed off on that house, painted it, made 20 grand on it. And in that instant, we were taken from Sydney and positioned on the Central Coast through a work commitment that I had. And we did the same again. So in me is this... I guess like all men, this nature to build. Are you a bit like that? Who likes to build? Who likes to build in their spare time? Steve, I know you're like that and others. We've got Daryl here, he likes to build, he likes to make a mess of things with his, with his excavator, 20-ton excavator, and we've had him on site doing a lot of great work. There's something about the man that wants to build. So in the calling of God, for me, I guess, um, I didn't understand it fully when I was being called to build a church, and it took me a while to figure it out. But one of the things I figured out along the way was that church was about this. It was about a mission. It wasn't about just coming and worshipping God and getting to know God. The fellowship was important, but it was about this doing aspect. It was about that God had a commission. We call it, as you know, long-term people of God, the Great Commission. Do you know what I'm saying? And we're called to reach out, to connect, to save souls, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if someone was to ask you what's at the center of this church, we could say spiritually it's Jesus, but at the center of this church, it's probably this. It's a mission. This church, at the guts of this church, its reason for being its, its whole reason for existence is this, that at the guts of it, and why God has, you know, caused this to exist, is at the center is a mission. That there is a mission that God wants to fulfill through this church. And that mission is this, is to be an influence. To reach out, to bring, I guess... Um, justice, peace, to reconcile society, to stem the tide of darkness. When this church turned up, we went straight up to Chapman Hill and we kicked over the altars. The, 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 I can speak like this. and There was uh, these devil worshippers in town, literally devil worshippers, and they were meeting on Chapman Hill with their candles and reciting curses and stuff. And seemingly when we started, they started to dissipate. In fact, the principal of Wyong High School says, he warned all the kids in Wyong High School, don't go up to Chapman Hill because there's some stuff happening in there. We can't tell you much about it, but just don't go up there. There's, there was a pentagram literally spray-painted into the car park and there was chanting there in the, in the night, full moon, whenever they meet. They were literally going up there and having services up there. So when we, we got a strategy to pray, to go up there and 
believed that we could change that, we could skadoot them out of town. We knew to do church, good church, we needed to get rid of those guys. Within six months, those guys had literally moved out of town and, and bought a house. This is how organized they are, and bought a house for their administration block and to do small groups. This is that it is just like church, man. In a suburb that I won't mention because you 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 know, you just don't need to know where they're but they've gone way out of town, probably near where you live maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but I won't mention I won't mention where they've gone. And we met up there for seven years. We just kept on going up every Tuesday. Hale, Frank, Ty McDonald, whoever would come up. We just kept on seven years. Every Tuesday from six o'clock to about eight o'clock, we kept on praying. And that for us chiseled out, I guess, our position to do good church and to survive and do everything that we've done. On that note, uh, I want to say this, that there's a scripture that goes like this, and this is prophetically what I believe that, that God has done for us. There's a scripture in 1 Chronicles 12.32 where God records this statement, and it's paramount to this whole deal of the Israelites building the kingdom. And there was these guys... They're called the men of Issachar. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 32, there was these brand of men, tribe of men. This is like a tribe. This church is like a tribe. So in the Old Testament, you had tribes. These guys were called the men of Issachar. And they discerned the times and they knew what to do. And basically, that's probably, I guess, what's happening here. That we discern the times that we're in. We discern that there's a call to arms for men. You know, nice, just nice church is not good enough anymore. We got bombs going off. We just lost three businessmen out of the nation because of the bombs that went off in India. One guy was the founder of a whole eco-flooring, eco floor, eco they're called, and the senior guy who was over there doing business, he was taken out. So, you know, we're living in days where there's this other brand of religion that is literally, it's, it's fun, the fundamentalists in that have declared war on the Western world and on Christians and Jews. That's, that's the bottom line. And, and so, what God is saying to us as a church and as a people of God, He wants men to engage. He wants men to engage the fray of the battle, which for us in Australia is the morality issue. There's a lot of stuff happening in our society. There's a lot of stuff happening that we believe, I believe as a church, that we can stop through prayer, through having a strong church. We got last night the youth met. 60, 70 kids coming out of homes, some homes that are dysfunctional, some homes that don't even believe in God. We are providing a place for those kids to come and feel the presence of God and feel the love of God. And we're not trying to force religion down their throat. We don't do that. One of the key things that we try to lead with is love. Just being friendly, 
and kind as one of the key things that we try have as, as a culture in the life of the church. Well, it's one of the key things that God, God is love. And, and, and as we express that, I believe Aussies, and including the men, it, 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 they will see it. Because Aussies are very, they're very pragmatic. I don't think Aussie men want religion. I don't think they want some idealistic view of what church might be, could be. But if we call men to arms, if we call men almost to this place of engagement and say, hey, we need your leadership, we need your authority. Men have authority, men have a huge, huge capacity for leadership and authority. Let me go to the Garden of Eden and I'll just give you some stuff that I believe is fundamental to who we are as men. We would call church the family business. This, you know, Jesus came, he did a great work, but then he said, I'm going to leave you with the family business. I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. Why does he want to build this church? And again, why should we come to it and subscribe to it? Why should men come to it? You know, come on, give me some good reason why I should subscribe and commit, give my time, my money, my family. Why should I give to church? It's all about a mission. And we are defined by the mission. When you engage the, the mission called the crisis of humanity separated from God, so we have this, uh, I guess, view, this Bible view that you're connected to God or you're not and you're floundering and you're anyone's business. I say again, we have a, a Bible view that says we can be connected to God in His purposes and His will for our life or, we, or we're disconnected from God and say, God, you're nice, I, I feel that you're out there sometimes, but look, I've got a life to get along with, I'm good enough, I'm tough enough, I can do it, I'll chip my way through life, and, and that's how some men get through life. But I believe in the heart of hearts of every man, they're looking for God, they're searching for God. I believe in every man, doesn't matter who you are, everyone is searching for God. But hang on, you're telling me I have to go through church? Now that's the dilemma right there. But if we can say to him, hey, yeah, but coming to church is a community. We are defined, we are defined individually in engaging the crisis. We're defined in who we are, what we're born for, because everyone's been sent on this planet for an engagement, for, I guess, a mission. But then we're defined as a corporate group. Even right now, there's synergy flowing between us as men. There's something happening here, trust me. When men get together like this, God's here, God's grace is here, the anointing's here, and He's doing something between us as men. We are being defined almost as a mighty, as a mighty army. Because that's what church is. Church delineates between two things. It delineates between, uh, between being an army which had been disciplined and engaging the crisis. And it's the other, the other half is being a family, just chilling out, loving each other, supporting each other. That's the two major facets of being a church, army and family, and we balance those two tenderly. So at the heart of the church is the mission. At the, 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 um, the crisis in front of us is what we engage. Elements of the male's, male's purpose. Now get this, this is fantastic. In, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, so hear me out, I have to crunch this now. 
man is, this is what the Bible is true. Man, man, not woman yet, man was sent to the Garden of Eden. Man turns up in the garden. All right? And God says to him, I want you to take stock. I want you to cultivate. I want you to look after this place called Eden. It was a certain spot. It was a real place. And it was a particular spot where God seemingly had fellowship with his man. The man, the, this one man. And then he realized, well, it's not good for man to be alone. Let's, let's give him. But before he sends the woman, before he gives him a job, before he gives him anything else, he gives him this place, this position. The first thing, if you, if you want to take a note, the first thing we've got to realize as men, because we're talking about purpose, and in this world where there's a crisis of manhood, a crisis of understanding who we are as men, there's a lot of different messages. Do I... Do I get a yes and amen? Do I get a, an, you know, there's a lot of different messages out there of what a man is. But the Bible is very explicit of what a man is. These three, I guess, issues provide us, I think, something phenomenal. And I'm only starting to really just digest the, the, um, the enormity of, of, of even suggesting this. The first one is priority. This refers to the man's order in creation and what that means in regard to his reason for being. Let's have a look at this priority. Why did God make the male first? It was not because he was perfect, but because of his purpose. The man was designed to be the foundation of the family unit. This, uh, oh, I'm just going to quick, quick... Is this being recorded? Is this being, uh, okay, so I need to just go line by line here a little bit. The foundation of society rests on man. We say that about the family. We say that the society rests on the family, but it's really on the manhood. It's really about the man being the leader in the family. Paul said, no one can lay any spiritual foundation other than the one already laid in 1 Corinthians 3.11. Society is only as strong as its males. Single mother parents know what we mean in that regard. When When you take the male out of the family... And some of you young guys and some of you older men apart uh, have been you know, brought up by just mum only. And when you take the man out, it's, it's a huge deficit to that family. Huge, because the man is the stabilizing force in a family. And when the man abdicates his authority and his stabilizing force, the family is awash. And really, it's... it's it, it's, it's bad news. When the male has cracks and faults in the foundation, the whole building is shaky. For as a man goes, as, a, as goes the family, as goes society, even as goes the world, but even as goes the church. Why am I here right now? I'm calling men to be the foundation of this church. We've probably got more foundation, and this is just part of the culture we live in now, there's probably more foundational value, which means stability, to be the church in the ladies. Yongi Cho says in a huge church in Korea, he says the best man I got is the ladies because it's the same diff over there in Korea. Somehow the ladies have allowed themselves to be positioned to carry the weight. Foundations carry weight. 
I put foundations in for my dabble garage, but the foundations were put in for a single garage. The council comes along and says, these foundations, they're not engineered for your double-storey uh, extension. I said, what? I said, no, these plants have been designed for single storey. So foundations, I had to dig out underneath the foundations and pour another two-metre square of concrete under the foundations. Foundations are about carrying weight. As, as we got a huge mandate, huge assignment in the church. As much as our foundations can handle that will be determined by the men that we have in their house. Is that cool? You tracking with me? So we got a huge mandate. You can see how much land we got. This is a, a stage of a 1,000-seater auditorium. There's a lot of stuff that God wants to do. God wouldn't give us all this resource. That's another thing, hey, you can work out your assignment and your mandate in life. Have a look at the resources God's given you in your family, in your life. Have a look at that because there's an assignment in that. We've got to look at, in this church, how, what God's given us. Why did God give us 11 acres? Why has God given us such a big vision? Why has God given us all these men? It's for a reason, trust me. You don't have this many men at a, at a breakfast, a, a church breakfast, where even churches double our size can't even get this many men out. They won't come. They won't engage. They're stuck back in another world where they say, look, church, it's nice to visit sometimes, but, you know, it doesn't need me. So as the man goes, so goes the family, society, and the world. So what we're doing as a determination in building the church is providing a place a place where we can harness the will of God and move God's will out from this place. Our societies are in a mess because as the foundation men have become sandy, uncertain, unstable. You can, you can see this, can't you? A foundation is always measured by how much weight can be placed on it. Again, God is not saying that we're better than the females. He's not saying that. But men have a certain responsibility. This is all we're saying here, that men have a certain responsibility. Many of you men need to, yeah, well it does. Many, it's saying here, many of us need to live like the foundation we are. And if we don't, our family can fall apart, society falls apart, the church can fall apart. Young people's foundations are missing. They should find foundation, certainly in the life of the church. So even young people are missing the foundation to position their life from. So say in a family, and if dad's not quite there, they haven't got that foundation to even build their life, and then in turn, for that young man to be a foundation again for someone else. So it's a... And of course, we're praying that God will raise up strong foundational men, men who stand by their wives, by their children, and even their church like stabilizers. The second thing is the male's position. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Why did God place him in this environment called Eden? And it goes like this, the male's position. This is the second virtue of manhood. Man's priority uh, in creation not only means that he was designed to be the foundation of the human family, but also that he was the first to be positioned on earth according to God's purpose. He was the first to have relationship, that means to commune with God, to speak to God, to experience God and to receive God's instruction. The male was placed in the garden, in the environment, which he was meant to carry out his purpose. So Genesis 2.8 says, Now the Lord God has planted a garden in the east, and there he put man he had formed. So God created this environment called the, called the Garden of Eden, 
It was a perfect place, true place, and he placed man in that environment. Eden was a real place, a special environment. All that was influencing heaven influenced that particular place on earth. So church is a little bit like heaven, I guess. It's a little bit like the Garden of Eden. We create this place where the presence of God is. Your wives, your children, us men, we come to it. And in that place, we are nurtured, empowered, anointed, revived, and connected to God. Is that right? That's why church, the presence of God in church, God put Adam in the garden, in the presence. We are born in us. We are designed to be in the presence of God. That's where he first put us, and that's where we should be all the time. It's dangerous for man to live outside the presence of God. He becomes like a wild animal with no conscience. But when you're in the presence of God, which we were designed to live in the Garden of Eden, and guess what? In the Garden of Eden, we were supposed to, in the beginning, to extend through the authority and through the instruction and the mandate on the man, he was supposed to he was supposed to allow that family of his and the Garden of Eden to be pushed out across the face of the earth. That's what God's plan was, to push out the Garden of Eden across the face of the earth. But that didn't quite work out. Uh, man abdicated. So God wanted Adam to take the presence of the garden and spread it throughout the world. Isaiah 11.9 says, For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the, waters, and the waters cover the sea. So that's what we're seeing now, that God is slowly beginning to occupy the nations. His presence is beginning to do what it was originally supposed to do, and that's occupy the nations. So outside the presence of God, he is a dangerous, uncontrolled beast. Is that you? Outside the presence of God. <laughs> it's in his presence that our minds and hearts can be renewed. We need to learn to walk in step with the Spirit rather than in our own ideas about life. It says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Many men think they don't need God when in fact he's the first thing we need. We should never doubt our need of God. The first thing that we need is God, guys. The first thing that we need is God. God gave man his presence first. Not He didn't give him a woman first. He didn't give him a job. He didn't give him a command. He gave us men his presence first. And that's the first thing that we need to allude to. Conclusion, God put the male in the Garden of Eden because he wanted him always to be related to him in fellowship and communion. There's a lot of onus on the man to have the wisdom and the knowledge how to direct our family, how to direct our church, how to direct society. When we take man out, there's all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas. It's inbuilt in us. We're all searching for God. And it talks about that we can hide behind a lot of things, even sport and even our you know, ideas, our own ideas. But at the end, everyone, I'll tell you this true, every man is searching for God. He needs to find his identity in God. He needs to find his purpose in God. And when that happens, we're going to see a man come alive. I've got something written here. Wouldn't it be great for a family to have a husband or father in the home who they could have, who they could know was in touch with God so they, that they could get direction for their lives? Uh, and the key is relationship. God put male in the garden because he wanted 
him always to be related to him in fellowship and communion. The third one and the last one, the male's assignment. There is an assignment on every man here. The third thing that determines a man's purpose, and I'm nearly finished, the third thing that determines a man's purpose is his assignment. Assignment means task or something that has been entrusted to you. The responsibilities to which God has entrusted the male are very clear and they indicate his purpose. What God gave Adam to do still holds true for man today because God is a God of purpose and has a reason for everything he does. You are designed, you are built, you are who you are as a man for a reason that is understood through the wisdom and the revelation that's in the Word of God. You will know who you are, what your identity is, if you get back to the instruction manual of life, it's true. So what God gave Adam to do still holds true for men today because God is a God of purpose and has a reason for everything he does. He is teaching us his plan for mankind in this account of creation. So we're going back to that garden. First thing that man is, is a visionary leader. Genesis 2.15, and this is the last little teaching about male's assignment and how you how you how you think, what's your disposition? Why do men tick the way they do? Why do men see the way they think? See the way that they do see things. First one is that men are visionary leaders. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man uh, to, to, to do that. The man was commanded not the woman. The instruction came to the man first, not the woman. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The male being first received all the information, all the revelation, all the communication from God. I mean, this flies in the face of everything, just about everything we know. Because usually it's the woman who's very intuitive to God and is understanding mostly maybe what God is saying to the family. And the men are just doers. They're very pragmatic. And they're not quite sure what God is really saying. But really, it's built in you to know God, what he's saying. And in the see, as we go back to the Garden of Eden, we can see it was man, man was instructed there. He was commanded there. So it's, the onus is on man. There's a huge responsibility on manhood. The male being first received all the information, all the revelation, all the communication from God. God wanted him to be the initial recipient of his plan for mankind. Next, God showed him the garden, the whole environment of Eden, visions of everything he created, and then he gave him instruction for living. Man was alone when this was said, this is the purpose for males in family and society. The male is to be the responsible one for everything under his jurisdiction. The woman fell, as you know, if you understand the, the story of Adam and Eve. It was the woman first that ate the apple. Is that true? That's what the Bible says. It was the woman first that ate. But hang on, let's not put a bum rap on the ladies. because it, <laughs> But it was men's responsibility to protect and guide her from falling. God went straight to Adam, and if you look at the account in the Bible again, I haven't got time to go there, but God went straight to Adam, even though Eve was the first to eat the fruit, 
When God asked him, where are you, in verse 9, I think it's chapter 2, verse 9, the question was not one of location, but he's saying, where are you? It was a a question of position. Where were you, Adam? Where were you as a protector, as a provider? Why didn't you protect Eve? He was called to protect the woman. And this is, this is, wow, this is an amazing revelation. So we say, it was you, you blew it, man. You got us into all this mess that's on the planet. You abdicated the authority, you abdicated the, uh, the instruction, but uh, you broke the commandment not to eat from the tree of good and evil. It's your fault. We've even heard that sometime. No, it was the man's fault. He was instructed. He was commanded, don't eat from the tree of good and evil. All the rest of the trees you can eat from, but this tree, don't eat from it, because you will become like God. And who doesn't want to be like God? See, there was good reasoning in there, but there was deception in there. So when God asked him, where are you? In verse 9, the question was not one of location, but of position. You are not fulfilling your purpose of leadership, Adam. What has happened to your family? What has happened to your society? What has happened to your community? What has happened to your church? That's what God's saying right now, I believe, prophetically. Where are you? You're born for leadership. Fundamentally, everyone in this, in this, all the men, have leadership. Have leadership to lead their families, to lead someone, to lead your community, to lead the church. If you are a man, you are head of the family. And that's, that's what the Bible says. You are head of the family. The buck stops with you. You're the head, man. When, when stuff happens, comes knocking at your door. The next thing you are is a teacher. And we won't go into that, but he, he should have taught Eve. The next one is that we're a cultivator. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to take care of it. He's a developer. He's a producer. He's a cultivator. His words are powerful. You can cultivate people's lives with your words. You can cultivate your wife. You can cultivate your children powerfully with your words. The other one, of course, we know this, any fool would be a provider. The man works the garden, he produces, he provides. And the, the other one was, and there's, there's a few more, but I haven't got time, is the protector. We take care. We take care of families. We take care of our wives. We take care of the situation when it arises. Men arise and they take care of the situation. We take care, we should take care of our community, but we should take care of our church. So basically God is saying to the men now, where are you? Find your position. You are so needed right now in this hour. On that note, I want to just say a prayer. Does that make sense? Does that help someone? That's what God's, that's what God's saying. So Father, boy, there's a lot of stuff happening on this planet, Lord, and Lord, we're needing to get back to your plans, your purposes, your will for our life, the design for our life, Lord. I just pray that men would continue to find their identity in you. Father, I just pray that men would find their purpose in you. Lord, our heart is so deceitful, it can lead us up so many dead ends. But Father, the revelation of your word, the revelation of your, of your voice to our heart, I just pray would reveal to us the divine mandate, the assignment, the calling, the position, the place that where you would have each one of us ultimately. The, I'm speaking to the young men and to the older men. Father, you have us all on a journey. And I pray that every person here, every young man and 
an older man and every father and, and every husband, Lord, that you would bless them and anoint them to stand in these almost uncertain times. But Lord, the, the house of God, the church with a mission, with a purpose from heaven is extending the presence of God. And Lord, you are, you are calling and you are calling the men to arms. You are calling the men to engage and to be the foundation of their families, their, 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 their society, their church. You're calling them, Lord God, to be the foundation, the strength, and to be point men. Now, when I say point men, I mean to be leadership, to lead the way. So, Father, right now, I bless each and every man right now in this place. That, Lord, that you would speak to their heart. There's guys that.